So I, I have the privilege of getting to read the, the scripture today. Uh, it's 2 Corinthians 4, 13 through 18. Since we have the same spirit of faith, according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we speak, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. For it is all for your sake, so that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that uh, are unseen are eternal. Amen. Thank you so much, Robert. Good morning. It is a, a joy to be with you guys again this morning. I missed the last couple opportunities for me to be here as COVID had other thoughts. Uh, and, and so we missed a couple of them, but I'm grateful to be here today. But you will see I am, I am sitting. I just had a, a, a sinus, sinus surgery last week, and the surgeon has begged of me to not stand very much, to not exert any energy, to uh, not lift up my kids anything more than 10 pounds. And they've warned me again and again and again, do not do it. As I stand, I get a little lightheaded. So uh, I made it through first service, and let's hope I can make it through this one as well. All right. So uh, today, our, our passage today, the, kind of the key word phrase that, ha, that, sting, that sits out from that, in my opinion, is, is that phrase, we do not lose heart, there in verse 16. We do not lose heart, Paul says, as he jumps into this incredible passage. Anyone been in a situation the last season where maybe you've lost heart in the last couple of years? Um, where you felt a little overwhelmed or tired, or maybe at the end of your rope, maybe you felt like giving up? Anyone felt exhausted at any point in the last couple of years where maybe you hit a ceiling or nothing is working or it, maybe it's, it was a gut punch of the stock market the last little season where maybe it impacted you or, or with housing prices soaring and, and unable to catch the ride and you're just le feeling left behind. Anyone feel the losses keep piling up? Or it's like, when, when do I get a win after all these losses? And it could be financial setbacks or health setbacks or, or, or emotional setbacks, whatever it is. Or maybe someone, maybe you planned for retirement or know someone that did. And as retirement's come, all of a sudden, all the joy is sapped away from it as financial issues or health issues or family issues have just stolen the joy from retirement planning as you're not able to enjoy it. And I'll be honest, I've lost heart many times in the last couple of years. For those of you that are new here, my wife and I, we moved with our kids, moved here just a couple of years ago from overseas. We spent the last 25 years overseas as missionaries, and I left, I grew up here, but I, I just down the street, but I've spent the last, I left when I was 17 to, to move overseas. And, and, and coming back, we came back with a lot of excitement. And, and even coming here in Atlantic North, it was awesome, things are going great, things are, are moving, even amidst of COVID, and man, the last year and a half have been interesting, is all the place, so many of the people we've gotten to know and hung out with, God has been doing something weird, has been happening, and so many people from this area, across all churches, have just moved out of state in the last, the last couple of years, it seems, and so many of the relationships that we were even forming have, have left, and, and core people of this community, that has been hard to see go. And that's been hard. And, and there's been so many challenges in this last season that's been pretty rough again. But the, the greatest one, if you've heard me speak at all since you've been here, for me, the, the greatest area of losing heart has been to do with my father. And when we were planning on moving back to America a couple of years ago, it was a time where I was literally in tears every day with my father on the phone almost when we call of excitement. 
Because my dad used to be a pastor, and I've been gone for over a couple decades, and we dreamed that I would come back, and we were going to pastor together, we were going to lead together, he's going to lead worship, we were going to sing together, and, and we were going to be able just to, to, to preach together and do stuff together and ministry and counsel together and ride motorcycles together. We were so excited. And literally right as we're planning on moving to the States, he comes down with pancreatic cancer. And, and the last two years have been absolute a living hell for him. With chemo and surgery and more chemo and more surgery and more surgery and more pain and more... Uh, it's been rough. And what was supposed to just be literally the greatest season of our life, of him raising my grandkids and being part of their lives, has been him barely able to move on, on so many days. And, and never knowing, does he have a, a year left, a week left? Ten years left? We, we don't know. It's just this roller coaster of joy and then relapses of, of fear and panic and, and more trips to the hospital. And the reality is if I, if I focus on all the things that are, are wasting away and, and put my focus on those things that are hard, it, it's really easy to lose heart in this last season. But I'm sure for many of you, you'd feel in the same place. And when I set my sights on the things that have not gone the way that I wanted them to, it's very easy to have despair. But today, we want to look at what I think is honestly one of the greatest passages in Scripture, where Paul is addressing why we do not need to lose heart. How he's able to hold on, no matter the circumstances, to rejoice in suffering, to endure hardships, to keep fighting, even when it seems impossible. And we're going to see it involves a radical change of perspective to do what Paul says. Now, Paul is going to sound like a madman when he's talking to Corinthians, because what he's saying is absolutely crazy. And he says it here in verse 16. He says, So we do not lose heart. Though the outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. You see, Paul, he's not in denial. He acknowledges that his body is wasting away. He keeps telling the people of Corinth of all the pain and suffering and humiliation that he's endured. And, and he's spoken openly and honestly about his weaknesses and his despairing, even of his life itself at times. And yet here he is yet again, and he comes back to this incredible truth that he does not lose heart, even when his body is wasting away. Whether it be from the torture of his enemies, from the stoning and the broken bones again and again, the pain of rejection of friends, or the agony that maybe today of, of, of cancer or dementia or some other diagnosis, even when his body is wasting away, he reminds them that our inner self, our inner body, our eternal spirit is being renewed. And we get this fantastic statement in verse 17 where he says, This light and momentary affliction, this temporary affliction, is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. What? Light? You know anything about Paul's story? His, it was not light. Being stoned to death multiple times, the miraculous recovering, I don't call that light suffering. Momentary? If you count decades of abuse and torture as being momentary, including a thorn in his flesh that just wouldn't go away, that tortured him for years and years and decades and decades. I wouldn't call that momentary. But he says these afflictions, he says, are the very things that are preparing him for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. I mean, just crazy. Would anyone else like to be able to speak with that degree of confidence in the midst of the storms of life? From the midst of financial ruin or racked with disease or the bedside of a loved one as they pass, to be able to speak with that kind of confidence 
that we do not lose heart. To be able to say with absolute confidence that though my body is wasting away, these light and momentary afflictions are posturing me and preparing me for the incredible weight of a glory beyond all comparison. I want that confidence. And so what is Paul's secret? Where does this confidence come from? And that's what we want to explore this morning. Steve's been taking us through 2 Corinthians the last number of weeks and this wonderful passage, a series where, where, we've been, where Paul is calling the Corinthian believers out of their like lemming-like adherence to their own cultural baggage. A culture of the Corinthian Greek culture that primarily values strength and power and wealth and health and invisible success as the primary pursuits of life. And, and that's all that matters in that culture. And he's presenting them with a radically different worldview of the kingdom. One that is completely upside down from their own experiences and their own understanding. One that flies in the face of everything that they have lived their entire lives believing. One where Paul is boasting of his weaknesses, not of his strengths. Where he suffers for doing good, not for doing evil. Where Jesus is glorified through his people as they follow his example of sacrificially loving others. This, where the way of the cross is not just something we point to and say, thank you, Jesus, for dying and forgiving me of my sins, but the way of the cross is actually the way of life Christ calls us to in a way of sacrificially laying our lives down for others. To live as Christ lived and to love as he loved. All for the sake of the lost coming to know him and bringing him glory. And then last week, Paul, or Steve specifically spoke about the jars of clay that Paul refers to us. He refers to us as people, as God's children, as jars of clay, as these fragile earthenware vessels that God doesn't want superheroes. He doesn't want the mighty who take the glory, but he chooses broken, fragile pots, fragile people, plain containers, so that as he works through us, he gets the glory, not us. And as he works through our brokenness and our weakness, the glory all goes to him, and others come to know him. And so Paul relishes in his weakened state in this passage. He boasts of his anxieties, of his failures, and he goes out of his way to emphasize that there is no one less worthy than him to be used by God. And it's not false humility. Remember, Paul killed endless numbers of Christians prior to encountering Christ himself. He knows he is the weakest of all vessels. And he sees all the difficulties that he endures, every sacrifice, every hardship, all of it he sees through the lens of bringing glory to God through this life. And that others would come to know Christ the way in which he lives his. Paul isn't storing up earthly treasures. He's storing up eternal ones. And that's how he lives his life. And so I want to remind us of what Paul has said up to this point, just before we jump into today's passage, because it's completely connected. And he says, starting in verse 8, he says, We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not driven to despair. We are persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. See, Paul doesn't diminish the reality of the suffering and hardship that he and they have experienced. It says he's afflicted in every way. That's a lot of ways. But he's still standing by God's grace. He says he's perplexed. Now, I love this one. He says he's perplexed. He says, I, I have no flippant idea how any of this stuff makes sense, of how all these tragedies and this calamity of errors and this carnage that lays waste around me could possibly be happening. I have no way of explaining it. I can't do it with human wisdom. But, he says, I'm not driven to despair. Which is perplexing in itself because literally two chapters earlier, in chapter 1, verse 8, he says, we are driven to, even to despair of life itself. <laughs> Which means he experiences the deep feelings of despair, but he's not dwelling there. As there's just confusion, he can't make sense 
of all the difficulties and the hardships that he experiences. It says he struck down. He has been. He's been stoned multiple times and beaten up. So many broken bones. But he's not destroyed. Notice he doesn't say I, but he says we. He includes the Corinthians saying, this is the life Christ has called for us. And then in verse 10, he says, always carrying the body in the body, the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. This is a powerful passage. Where he's saying, Paul again emphasizes that when we follow the way of the cross, he, as we lay our life down for others, this is what we're called to do. Why? Because as he, we live and love like Jesus, the life of Jesus is manifested to the world. As we experience the death of Jesus in our lives, his, or sorry, the, the death of our lives, Jesus, his life is shown through our life to the world. As Paul says, as he lives and loves like Jesus, people encounter Jesus through his life, through his suffering. Not in spite of it, but in the midst of it. Specifically, the way he endures the trials and the hardships and the difficulties and the pains and the losses. As he picks up his cross and follows Jesus, Paul says that people smell the aroma of Christ all around him through the way he endures those things. And then Paul says in verse 11, For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death is at work in us, but life in you. Again, he says, for believers, their lives are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake. That we choose the way of the cross, the cruciform life, sacrificially loving others, giving our lives for others, laying our lives down for others in Christ. And as we do this, Jesus' life is evident to the world through our lives. The more pain, he says, the more it's actually evidenced to the world if we hold on to him. Jesus is unveiled as we actually live and love like him in the midst of the pain. And then he finishes with this crazy statement, so death is at work in us, but life in you. He's saying to the Corinthians, the reason that you experience Jesus' life is because you've seen death in mind. You've seen the way that I have suffered, the way that I have endured hardship, and you have seen Jesus alive in my life, and that is why now you are Christians, because you have recognized and seen the way in which I have endured. So death, you've seen in my life, but it's life of Jesus what's evident in you. And then he gets to today's passage. It begins in verse 13. It says, Since we have the same spirit of faith according to what has been written, I believed and so I spoke. We also believe and so we spoke. And here what Paul is saying is he's just quoting back to Psalm 16. This is the psalm. And when Paul does this kind of thing, he's not quoting a phrase. He's quoting a whole psalm. If you read Psalm 16, it's this incredible psalm of David having uncompromising, unwavering faith that God would deliver him. Complete faith in God's faithfulness. And so what Paul is actually saying in this verse, a better translation would be, I have just as much confidence as David had when God delivered him. So he's speaking of his confidence here. All this is going on, all these things I suffer, my confidence is in Jesus. And what is that confidence in? Verse 14, here it is. He says, knowing that he who raised Jesus, sorry, who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also with Jesus and bring us with you into his presence. This is the kicker. For Paul, everything hinges on this. There is nothing more important to Paul in the gospel than this singular message, that this is the message of Easter. It's the message, the singular most important message of the whole gospel, that Jesus rose from the dead. Amen? 
Just like we celebrate at resurrection and Easter, just we celebrate as Christians, but not just that Jesus rose from the dead, that he will raise us with him into his presence for all of eternity. We get to join him for all of eternity. And this is what his hope rests on this, is that Jesus rose from the dead and we will join him for all of eternity. Amen. This is the foundation that everything of Paul is founded on. And it's his greatest confidence. And this is why he can endure any amount of suffering. It's why he can endure any degree of anxiety or despair or depression or pain or loss or disease because he knows that this is true and nothing can take this away. His eyes are set on the eternal reality of Jesus and bringing as many people as he can with him. For Paul, this is what it's all about. All of his eggs are in this basket. Eternity with Jesus because of his resurrection. And you can't understand anything Paul says if you don't share that confidence with this because this is the entire lens from which he views the world, this eternal reality with Christ. Everything else pales in comparison to this for Paul. And it's why he can say in Philippians 1.21 that to live is Christ and to die is gain because he would rather die and be with Jesus. That's what he wants more than anything else. But he says he will continue to stay here with us for the sake of the lost for our, the sake of those who he gets to share with them the love of Christ. And then we get to verse 15. And here he says, for it is all for your sake, for your sake, Corinthians, all of this suffering, all this enduring, all this hardship, the reason I remain, the reason for me to live as Christ, to die as gain, but I stay here with you is because it's for your sake so that his grace extends to more and more people. It may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So he says, I do it for you. I want as many people as possible to come to know Jesus. I want as many people as possible to join me in eternity. And I will endure whatever I need to endure if it means I can bring some more people with me. And as more people encounter God's grace, his grace will keep extending its exponential multiplication. It's beautiful. And then he gets to our passage for today. The key part of the passage, he says, so we do not lose heart in verse 16. Though the outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. So with all the pain, all, all the unexplainable difficulties and, and hardships that left him perplexed and, and speechless, well, again, whether it be the suffering at the hands of others, the thorn in his flesh that he's going to speak of later, the betrayal of friends, the martyrdom and the death of so many of his friends that he has lost in the season, or the wounds that he's endured, he says, we do not lose heart. Even though my body is physically wasting away and dying, it's getting weaker. It can't do what it used to do. We do not lose heart. Now, does anyone here relate to the outer man wasting away these days? Our bodies are wasting away, if you haven't noticed. I, for me, the first revelation of this was when I hit 30. I don't know why it was that year, but at the age of 30, my body started falling apart for some reason. And I'll never forget, on my birthday around that time, I, I, I was working with, with young people primarily at the time, and they all knew I was a sucker, and I was always good for competition. And someone... Uh, 
challenged me to a burpee competition. Not, not burping, my children would love that, but burpee is like a really intense form of a, of a, of a, of a push-up, where you do a push-up and then jump and push-up again, and we did a competition, and I'm an idiot, I don't know how many we did, it's not important, but I destroyed myself. I wrecked my arms, my shoulders, my legs, I mean, I just, like down to the ligaments, just, just trying to push and keep up with these young kids, and, and it just destroyed me, and, I, and for a week I spent, I could literally just hold my, like just hug myself for a week, and at one point I had to like wrap a sweatshirt around my arms just to hold myself there, I was in agony every step I took. What made it so much worse was that week my hero and my mentor flew to South Africa to visit me, and he was an avid hiker, and he wanted to see the city, and I was so sad and so, I felt so humiliated, and so I just traveled miles and miles, we used to walk around with this guy that week, with me just hugging myself, literally grimacing with every single step, at one point just wrapping something around my arms to hold myself there, and the whole time I just kept thinking, I used to recover so much quicker than this. Like, back in football, I get injuries, and I would just bounce back. Why is my body not recovering in agony? And when I hit 40, I remember I realized my body is not going the right direction, so I started running regularly and then started having knee issues and other stuff. I'm like, this is stupid. What's going on? Our bodies are wasting away, right? In fact, just this past week, so I had surgery a week ago, and, and on Thursday, I went to go meet with the surgeon. And uh, in this hour-long meeting, like 20 different times, she tells me, you know, whatever you do, do not run. Do not exert energy. Do not uh, lift anything more than 10 pounds. Don't lift anything heavy. Careful standing up. Sit as much as you can. You need to conserve your energy. I'm like, okay, whatever. And as I'm leaving, three times I'm walking out the door. She says, James, listen to me. You will end up back on the surgery table. Do not exert too much energy. Do not stand. Do not lift anything heavy. More than 10 pounds. I'm like, okay, for two more weeks. Okay, I got it. So then yesterday, we're cleaning vomit out of our van, as parents do, um, and, uh, and, and so we're, we're emptying stuff out, we got all these things we have to hose off, and I, I go to turn the water on the faucet outside, and it's the first time I've turned the water on since winter, and we were moving back to the States recently, I guess I screwed up, the water starts just shooting into the garage, apparently it, the pipe burst or something in the, in, 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 during, during the winter, and so water's just pouring into the garage, and Sarah yells at me, James, don't move anything, there's all these boxes in the way, don't move, and I'm like, it's fine, and so I reach over and start moving the stuff out of the way to get to the main water shut off and just this searing pain just shoots through my sinuses I fall to my knees cry out in pain and realize I am an idiot yet again I have not learned and so while my wife is left cleaning up mopping up the mess cleaning up the car cleaning up the vomit I'm impotently laying inside humiliated by the fact that I can't do anything laying there just going my body is wasting away right <laughs> that was just yesterday um, and so we are wasting away there's no doubt about that whether it be we're wasting away and maybe we're a little rounder than we used to be, maybe a little slower, maybe a little weaker, maybe a little wrinklier, a little grayer. Some like my father with cancer, maybe their body is literally eating itself away or failing minds or failing kidneys. But what Paul specifically is referring to here are the scars he bore from telling others about Jesus. He literally was wasting away of people just beating his body up. But he says this, for Paul, the fading of the outer man is not a bad thing. Now listen to this. This is key to the whole thing. It's not a bad thing that the outer man, the body, is wasting away, he says. He says it's an absolutely vital part of the process. And this is a radically different view from the Corinthian view of strength, or really most any Christians today. Because he says, as the outer man wastes away, and by outer what he means is the, the physical body, the temporary body that is wasting away and dying and diseased, and that is temporal. He says, simultaneously, the inner man, and by inner he doesn't just mean to spirit, it means our eternal body, which is even more real than the physical one. Our eternal bodies, the one that will go on for eternity. He says, in the spirit, it's growing and it's being renewed. 
And he says, this is something not to despise, but to embrace. It's an essential and a necessary process. As our physical body is weakening and graying and forgetting and dying, our eternal body should be growing and renewing and strengthening. And Paul says, rejoice with this, with each new wound or scar or hardship or difficulty. He can rejoice that God is preparing him for his eternal heavenly home. That aging and weakening is not something to despise, but simply moves us closer to our eternal home. One of the greatest examples I had of this was a dear friend and a mentor of mine from South Africa. She's actually American, but she's lived there for a number of years. And her name is Landa Cope, and she's one of the, the greatest missionary saints still alive today in the world, in my opinion. And, and she has turned the world upside down. In her 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, she turned the world upside down for the kingdom. She is an amazing powerhouse of a woman who I don't know the untold numbers of people will be standing at the great throne of God who will be there as a direct result of her incredible service to the Lord for decade after decade where she has turned the world upside down and, and seeing hundreds of thousands of people mobilized for Christ and, and seeing the Mercy Ships ministries pioneered and so many other ministries pioneered where hundreds of thousands have access to medical care, remote areas of the globe, and give their lives to Christ. Amazing woman, one of the greatest people I know that's living alive today. But something has happened over the last number of years that her body has begun wasting away. And she cannot do what she used to do, or even a tiny fraction of it. In fact, now she's limited to just a few hours a week and sometimes less of public ministry. And a, a while back, a few years ago, I invited her to come and speak to a number of our missionary leaders. And while she was there, I asked her the question, I said, how is it that you deal with this wasting away? How is it you deal with the fact that your body is getting weaker? I mean, you were a powerhouse. And now most of your time has been in prayer and reading and writing by yourself. How do you deal with it? And I'll never forget what she said. She said, James, God is preparing me for eternity. I spend most of my time these days in prayer and just sitting with him. He's getting me ready to spend the rest of my life with him. She said, I've learned to embrace the slowing down, the aches and the pains, and all the rest of it. And recognize as my body weakens, my spirit's renewing. She saw it as a necessary renewal process. Landa is not losing heart, even as her body fails. She recognizes, Paul said, that as the outer self fades away, the inner man, our eternal being, should be strengthening and renewing. This is the template Paul gives us for our lives, and it's that necessary transformation that we hold on to him. But it's something we have to be intentional on. It won't happen passively just by living and existing. We need to lean into him and allow for his life to pour through us and our dying body that people experience his life, even in the midst of our suffering. And then he says in verse 17, for this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. I mean, now Paul describes these pains and hardships and he calls them light and momentary. Again, how can he call them light? Few of us could endure anything that Paul went through. The amount of torturous abuse that he took time and time again, physically, emotionally, spiritually, none of us could endure that most likely. And the answer is because he says it produces in him an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. If he only looked at what was wasting away, if Paul looked at the friends who had been martyred, the pains, the broken bones, it wouldn't seem light or, mo or, or momentary at all. But for Paul, compared to the surpassing glory of the weight of God's eternal glory, they aren't even in the same conversation. 
If there was a set of scales and all the pain and the wasting away and the hurt and the loss, all of that was on one side. And it says, and then the registers on the other side, the eternal weight of glory. It's like there's, it's, it, there's nothing on the scale. It's just all God's glory. And so Paul says, compared to the weight of God's eternal glory, these are but light and momentary, including the horrific, torturous abuse, the pain, the thorn in the flesh, the loss of loved ones, all the rest. He says, it is nothing compared to the eternal glory of God. You see, this is Paul's secret. This is why he doesn't lose heart. It's why he has such insane confidence in in the resurrection that he will spend eternity with Jesus and all those who turn to Christ will join him and there's no suffering or hardship or weakness that will diminish that beauty. In fact, he says, it's in the midst of our hardship, in the midst of suffering, in the midst of losses and wasting away as we keep pointing to Jesus that others will come to experience Christ. Not when we have victory over them, not when we are healed, but in the midst of the pain that will bring God glory and draw other people as we point people to Jesus in the midst of the hurting and in the midst of the pain. That is a radically different worldview from a Corinthian worldview. Or an American worldview or a Christian worldview. I mean, you realize what Paul is saying to the Corinthians is insanity. They have no grid for this. They have no basis for understanding this. They have no grid for the the glory of God in the midst of suffering and hardship and loss. Or victory in the midst of weakness. The Corinthian worldview had no room for an eternal perspective in their understanding. Death is all there is. They need to get everything from this life because this is all there is. Paul's talk would seem like absolute foolishness to them. In fact, that's why he says in 1 Corinthians 1.18, for the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. It makes no sense. And it's the same today. The message of Paul would sound insane to someone who does not know Jesus, who does not understand the eternal reality of Christ. Hope in the midst of suffering and pain and loss and death? Are you kidding me? What is there to hope in? The more my body fails, the more I'm being renewed? That's nuts. It's crazy. It's ridiculous. What is there to hope in? A story is told by... uh, Sir, Sir Frederick Catherwood, he's a Christian businessman, a member of, of the European Parliament. He was the chairman of it back about 75 years ago. And he once sat with one of uh, Britain's leading scientists. He was uh, the, one of the greatest scientists at the time, the, the head of the Royal Society of, Brit- of, of Britain. And the two were discussing the Bible and Christianity together. And he said at the end of it, the aged scientist uh, didn't, didn't, didn't believe him, and he stood firm in his unbelief. But then Catherwood writes this in one of his journals. He says, only three or four years after this conversation, a few months before the scientist's death, I saw the same man in the library of our club, a gaunt and gloomy, silent figure hunched over the fire, staring into nothing, face to face with oblivion. When I left the club sometime later, he was standing in the rain without a coat. I offered him a lift, and he told me not to bother. He had come to the end, and nothing seemed to matter. I I can't imagine that degree of hopelessness. It just comes to an end. But yet that's where so much of our world is. And that's why Paul writes these things. Because in this letter, 
Paul is fighting against the culture at large to establish a counterculture in the church. And again, the Corinthians would be ashamed of Paul for his weaknesses and his transparency and all the maladies he experienced. His fears and his failures made him weak in the Greek eyes. And they removed his testimony and canceled it out in their eyes. Of primary importance to them was what they called the cross, or sorry, the, 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 the crucis honorum. That's that Roman, the, the path to fortune and fame that only valued social status and strength and wealth and health and success. It was everything. Humility was not a value. Weakness was shunned. You ran from it. And into this comes Paul, boasting of all these weaknesses. You know, I love the only physical description we actually have of Paul was written a few decades after his death. The only place anywhere where it says what he actually looked like. And here's the only description we have written in the Acts of Paul. It says, a man of middling size, his hair was scanty, and his legs were a little crooked, and his knees were far apart. He had large eyes, and his eyebrows met, and his nose was somewhat long. Right? That's an early description of this guy. So Paul, the only description we have is a balding guy with crooked bow legs that walks funny, has a big nose and a big old unibrow. Right? That's Paul. If you ever wondered what he looked like, that's the only description we have of him. So this balding, big-nosed, limping, unibrowed man, who is not a Greek specimen of strength that they would value, he's telling them, and he's speaking into this culture, that what matters above all else, above wealth and strength and definitely beauty, in his case, above success by their terms, is the joy of an eternally knowing Jesus and eternity with him. And he's telling them that their lives must reflect this reality. They must adjust their lives to it. Paul is showing the way of the cross of the kingdom, where suffering for the sake of Christ and others is the norm. And this flies in the face of the Corinthian culture. They had no basis for understanding it. Paul's saying the way of the cross is marked by suffering and weakness and giving up for the sake of others. And so Paul can endure all that he endured. And you can see for Paul, his understanding of the future completely determined how he lived in the present. This understanding, this eternal reality completely affected every day of his life. This eternal perspective of Jesus' resurrection and spending eternity with him is the lens by which he views everything in the world. And it's a complete confidence in this eternal reality of Jesus that shapes all of who he is and all that he does. And he says it one more time in the final verse, starting in 17. He says, For this light, momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. And here it is. 18. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient or temporary, but the things that are unseen are eternal. Now in 18, he says we must look. And look in the Greek, the emphasis there is that a look to fix our eyes upon, to focus on. So he says we must focus upon what? Focus upon not the things that are temporary, the things that are wasting away, but focus upon the things that are eternal, the things that will last. And the context is almost entirely focused on allowing others to see the life of Christ, evidence in our lives, so they can join us for eternity. This is Paul's secret to his joy. It's why he does not lose heart. It is this confidence in the future eternal reality that guides everything that he does. And it's what he's telling the Corinthian Christians that they must do as well. They must confront their own culture. They must not conform to it. 
They must live counterculture life that will not make sense to their family and their friends and the people around them. And where Paul says the way they suffer and sacrificially live and love like Jesus will have a greater effect, a greater effect upon people experiencing life of Jesus than anything they do in their own strength. Any great victory of their own, any great challenge, one of their own strength. He says, none of that will compare to the reality of me being present in your life in the midst of challenges and suffering and difficulties as you suffer with me. And I am made present and I am made alive in your life. I mean, that's a powerful message to the Corinthian church. Paul isn't pulling any punches, calling them to this life of eternal perspective. And the Corinthian Christians must have been pretty messed up, right? Because they needed this massive realignment because their culture was so out of alignment with that of the Christ kingdom. It's really nice to be able to read for them how bad their culture was. As we can sit back and go, whew, at least we're in a much better position today. Right? Well, probably not. So if we want to be honest with the text, we then have to ask the question, What about us today? What is Paul speaking for us today? Are we really any better? Do we really grasp what Paul is saying in this passage? Us in this room right now. Us watching online. Do we grasp what Paul is saying right here? Do we share the same eternal perspective? Does this longing for Christ and his eternal kingdom shape everything that we do in the same way? Do we embrace the way of the cross or do we just view it as, you know, that thing that Jesus did back then that now allows me to have eternity in heaven and all the stuff I want? Do we see our current trials and hardships and pain and suffering as light and momentary and weighed against the eternal glory of God? Do we see it worth anything, even agony and suffering for it, if it means our lives could lead other people to experience life in Christ? Is that our chief goal is that others would be able to join us for eternity with him? Do we embrace our weaknesses or do we run from them? Do we hide them and boast only of our strengths and comparing our strengths to others' weaknesses? Do we rejoice in the midst of anxieties and depression and difficulties and pain and loss as we recognize that our outer man is wasting away, but our inner man is being renewed? And if we're honest, I would say for so many of us, we probably have far more in common with the Corinthians than we do with this kingdom vision of the gospel that Paul proclaims. And so Paul's words are incredibly relevant for us today. I love Dr. Kent Hughes in his commentary on 2 Corinthians. He, he summarizes this this way, and he says this. So we can see that what Paul believed about the future had everything to do with the way he lived. And more, the difference between Paul and many Christians lies right here. Many Christians do not truly believe in a future resurrection. Hear this. Many Christians do not truly believe in a future resurrection. Or if they do, it's a distant, fuzzy event with no relevance for today. Certainly, they do not see it as the grand, cosmic certainty that they will actually share with Christ, and they don't believe with the intensity of Paul. They do not share his vision for this. He goes on, For most Christians, the contemplation of retirement trumps the contemplation of their ultimate destiny. For most, eschatology, that's the study of the things of the end, we talk about the last days, all the rest of it, He says, is defined by a single word, retirement, nothing beyond. Far more energy and thought is given to enhancing the health and wealth of the final 20 years of earthly existence, he says, than to eternal existence. Clearly, he says, we are called to focus on future resurrection and exaltation if we have any desire to live as we are. Does that ring with anyone? 
But our focus is far more on this. And I want to use an illustration that was popularized by Francis Chan a few years ago, but I stole it from someone else years before I saw Chan do it. Um, every illustration is stolen for the most part. Um, and that is just imagine this rope here. It's about 100 feet long, wraps around the church, but imagine it goes on for infinity. It's eternity. It's a timeline representing eternity, starting from the beginning of our life. And this little piece of red tape represents the, the entire period of our life, whether it be 20 years, 60 years, 120 years, whatever it is. This represents the entirety of our life. And the rest of this is the eternal life that will continue on. And when we look at, the, at this piece of tape. The thing is, for most people, we spend all of our energy in this life focused right here on this little bit, on just this inch. Right? This is where all of our energy goes. In fact, two-thirds of it, we spend almost all the first two-thirds of energy just to try and maximize that last third of those last 10 years to get as much comfort in that last little bit as we possibly can. And we spend all of this focusing on this rat race and everything we do is to get more comfort here and more stuff here and more things here to get everything I possibly can, acquire as much as I possibly can so that this can be as comfortable, as safe, and enjoyable as I can possibly make it. And recognize that maybe this exists out here. Maybe we got fire insurance because we accept Jesus and we know that something's going on out there, but this is the entire focus of our existence. You know, and for most of my life, people have called me a little crazy. Because we chose, I chose a young age. At 17, I left home, became a missionary, and just focused my life saying, I think this part is kind of important. Trying to think, how do we see more people come to Christ? How do I live my life in such a way that, that people actually experience the life of Jesus? That, and that means making some massive financial sacrifices here. People call me crazy because we've done really bad decisions as a family financially in order to really make sure that this was possible. We've not protected our family the way we should. We put our kids in very dangerous situations. We've lived in war zones. We've, we've done all these things that were foolish. And even now moving back to the States and coming back to America to pastor, like, where are you going? I'm like, I want to go to Seattle. I want to the place, the hardest place of all to see people come to Christ. We're going as missionaries to the heart of the place that's called a church graveyard where people have given up the least reached place in America. Like, you're crazy. Why are you doing that? Because of this. Because you know what seems crazy to me? is not to spend this part of life investing in eternity. What seems crazy to me, what seems absolutely insane to us, what Paul's saying here, is to spend all of this time just focused on this. To spend all of my energy, all of my time, trying to just make more comfortable on this little inch of red line that somehow this gets more comfortable and more comfy and avoiding awkward conversations because I don't want to make them feel awkward. I don't want to do that. Living in pain and bitterness towards other people and not having the hard conversations, not choosing to love, not choosing to engage because I want this to be as comfortable as possible. Making decisions that affect the eternity for my family, my kids, my neighbors, those who do not know Jesus because I want this to be a little more comfortable. That, to me, seems insane. What a crazy, horrific use of the investment. Not that it's wrong to plan for retirement. We have a 401k thing that we're trying to work on. A little late getting started, but we're trying to do all this stuff, thank God, for good benefits here at Northview and, and all the rest. We're trying to do what we can, but that's crazy. God has given us eternity with him. And Paul, in this letter, he's saying, to spend all the time focused just on this, that is crazy. Corinthians, that is insane. You will drive yourself mad with pain and worry and exhaustion trying to improve the life here. And he gives us this crazy passage in 1 Corinthians chapter 3 where Paul talks about the fact that there's going to be a time when, when we die and we go to heaven. He says, you can invest in this earth right now in things that will last eternally, 
like gold and silver. He gives examples will last through flames. Or you can invest in things like hay and chaff that will burn up. And now the James translation of 1 Corinthians 3 is that, and many of us will be standing there in the throne and we'll be standing there with a pile of smoldering ashes. Because nothing we invested in made it worth it. Nothing made it through. It was all temporal. It all burned up. I spent it avoiding the hard conversations. I spent all my money trying to get the, you know, the bigger house, the bigger vote, the extra car, all those things. Not that those things are wrong, but that's where my energy and my emphasis went. I spent it focusing on all the pain, all those things that were tearing me down and not being renewed, not recognizing all of this in the future glory. And so I'm standing there and I got nothing to offer because it's all been burned up because my whole life has been about pursuing comfort and ease and safety for me and mine and mine alone. Paul would say, don't do that. That is crazy. That is insane. Instead, I want to be standing with wheelbarrows and just pouring and saying, God, here's all I was able to do. I'm sorry, this is all I had, but it's the best I can do for now and enjoy and walk into that place of eternity with him. May we invest our lives for eternity. And if you're suffering today, I'm so sorry. If you're in pain today or of a loved one, of a loss, I am so sorry whether it's from anxiety or depression or cancer or disease or, or children who have walked away from the Lord, I am so sorry. And there's nothing that Paul says in this passage that's going to take that pain away temporarily. But what he does say will change our perspective on that pain. Because he says, regardless of the pain, no matter how severe, it is temporal. It will come to pass. There may be miraculous healing this side of eternity, and we will pray for that. If you want prayer, please come forward. We will pray for you. We will keep praying. Maybe it's a medical miracle that will happen as well, and we pray for that. But regardless, Paul tells us that pain, it is temporary. We can hold on to Jesus' promises, just as King David did in Psalm 16, have that kind of confidence. And this is our hope. Jesus is risen from the dead. Amen? And we will be joining him for all of eternity, church. Amen? May Jesus' life be reflected through our lives. When life is going good, yes. But even more so, Paul says, when it's not going well. When it's hard and it's painful and we're in agony. He says, even more so, his life should be evident in our lives in those moments. We do not lose heart. Our hope is in him and in him alone. We can live for him no matter our circumstances, no matter how hard it gets, no matter our bank account, no matter our physical or emotional health. And he, right, I'm going to finish with this. He said in his great book called Surprised by Hope, and I love this quote where he gives, he says, you know, so often when someone is sick, they, they say that you're becoming a shadow of your former self. You heard that said before? Like this person's a shadow of who they used to be. Their body is wasting away. And I, every time I see my father, that's what I see. My dad used to be strong as an ox just two years ago. Oh, he is a shadow of his former self. Lost over 100 pounds and just shuffling around. It is so hard to watch. I love you, Dad. But he says, that's what the world says. When we see the wasting away, we're a shadow of our former selves. He says, but if Paul is what Paul's saying is true out of 2 Corinthians, we're not a shadow of our former selves. We are but a shadow of our future self. You see, because as our body, our external body, as this physical body is dying, our true body, our eternal body is renewing, is growing, is strengthening, and we are becoming the people that Christ has called us to be. That is our hope. 
That we have an eternal life in Christ. Not that we are wasting away, but we are being renewed. That we are becoming the people that Christ has called us to be. And we are getting stronger and renewing in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the hurt, in the midst of all those things. He is growing us and renewing us and strengthening us. We are but a shadow of the future self that God is calling us to. And that is the path that we are on. And that is the place we go. And so we can rejoice in the midst of suffering and we do not lose heart. Amen? All right, we're going to take communion, but first let's pray. We say, Jesus, thank you so much that you have given us your life and that your life is evidence in ours as we walk with you and love you, Jesus. I pray, Lord, for anyone that is hurting today and struggling today, Jesus, may they see the clarity of your beauty, of your wonder, and of your eternal glory, Lord Jesus. Jesus, change our perspective to see how glorious and wonderful you truly are. Give us your eternal perspective, Lord, that we can see the weight of all we are walking through in light of who you are. Thank you, Jesus. Oh, amen. As we take communion this morning, we do this because Jesus has called us as a way of remembering him. When he was with his disciples in the day that he was taken from them, his last meal, he told them, he broke this bread, he gave it to me. He said, take this in remembrance of me, for my body is broken for you. And he did a showing his sacrifice for them, but also showing them this is the way of life that he's calling them to as well, that their body will be broken as well. So let's eat the bread. Remember, his body that's broken for us so we can live eternally with him. And then Jesus took the cup of wine and he gave it to his disciples. He said, drink this, remembrance of me. This is my blood that is shed for you. Because he gave his life for us and that we can now live for him. So remember a sacrifice and that we can live for him as we take the cup. Amen. Two final things as the worship team comes up. First, if you don't know Jesus as your eternal Lord and Savior, I want to challenge you today. Give your life to Christ. There is no hope greater than the hope of knowing Jesus, of knowing that you don't have to be like that scientist standing at the end of days wondering what it was all for. But today, Jesus wants you to come and receive him as your Lord and Savior and experience life and hope in him. And so come forward, talk to someone, come forward and pray. I'd love to pray with you or someone else, but give your life to Christ today if you do not yet know him. And number two, wherever you're at in life right now, whether you're young, old, young kids, old kids, no kids, it doesn't really matter. Determine again today. Respond to this message today. Do not just get up out of here and leave and say, well, nice message, good job, pat him on the back. Well, that was nice. No, say, Jesus, what does it mean for me to apply this message to my life today? Right now, ask that, Lord. What does it mean to realign my life to your vision of eternity, Jesus? Where am I pursuing my kingdom more than your kingdom? Where are my priorities out of whack in my life today and how I'm organizing my life and spending my time, my energy, Jesus? I want to say with Paul, I have this confidence that we do not lose heart. I want my life to be investing into eternity, Jesus. Redirect my priorities. Show me where they are out of whack and it's based upon me acquiring as much as I can here, not taking into consideration the reality. This is but a tiny, finite moment in all of history. If you're younger, 
and you're not at that place of experiencing pain, amen, make the decision saying, Jesus, I want now with all my strength and all my energy and all my being to devote my life to your service and your ways. When I'm 71, I hope to be running off to Burundi. I plan on it just like Robert. I hope he's still giving my life, Lord, at no point. I don't want to ever retire in the traditional sense and just go off and golf all day, although golfing is wonderful and fun. I want to be continuing to pressing in and say, Jesus, I want my life served for you in every possible way. Thank you, Jesus.